0: Good morning, guys. Good morning. I'm really grateful uh, for Shay and for our deacons. You know, when they come up here and they do the announcements, um, I shared something with them a long time ago. I I don't like doing announcements. Never have. Um, And it's because it's so much easier to open God's Word and allow the gospel to be the power behind what you say as opposed to trying to come up with something off the cuff and, and define it for all the people that are staring right back at you waiting for that information. But you know what they do every single week is they come up here and they tell you what we do as a people of God to bring glory to God. And then they tell you why we do it. And so I want you to remember that when they come up here and they're going through the announcements and they're leading us through prayers. That is the opportunity that we have as a family to be informed of how we can engage in what we say is our mission, right? To bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through gospel-centered worship, community, service, and multiplication. Amen? that 's cool, um, my name is Ben. I am your pastor. Uh, it is really awesome you, you don 't have to you don 't have to cheer every time I say that by the way like we we can we can go pat it 's cool though it's really it's really cool. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to be in the first seven verses of Romans. And I'm really excited. I know I say that to you all the time. I don't want you to get sick of it. I really am excited because we're heading into a good season. And I'm not just talking about Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday by far. And yet right now is actually an amazing season. And the reason why is because we get to teach, we get to learn together, and we get to do so in a way that's incredibly organized. So I wanted to give you a a sneak peek as we're heading into this next phase of some of the things that we're going to be working through as a church family for the next couple of months. So starting in December, we're going to be going through the concept of Advent. Anybody, anybody know what that word means? It's okay, because we're going to talk about it. It's going to be awesome. Like, seriously, so we're going we're to work through texts that speak to the concept of Advent. So maybe it's not going to be the normal Christmas verses that you're used to, okay? So I don't want you to be uncomfortable by that, because what we have an opportunity to do is to see how all of Scripture speaks to this climactic moment in which the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Does that sound exciting? It does, and it's going to be amazing, but then right after that, uh, so going through the whole month of December, we're going to do that, but then starting in January, we are going to work through one of my favorite letters in Scripture, the, the book of Colossians. How many of you all have read Colossians? Okay, well, I was hoping it would be less of you, but actually I'm happy that it's a lot of you because that's a good thing. Um, I'm telling you all this because now you can open up Colossians with your families, right? Right? Husbands, lead your spouses through the book of Colossians. Fathers, read this to your children for the course of the next month, because starting in January, we're going to go through uh, through that book verse by verse, and we are going to talk about the gospel, and we're going to do it through the lens of just how big that book makes Christ out to be. Does that not sound exciting? It is exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. But that left two weeks, okay, and I'm, I'm thinking through that, and I, I couldn't really think of what we were going to go through uh, for those two weeks before December starts, and so I asked the wise, well, one of the wisest people in my life what we should do. I asked my wife. I said, hey, Hannah, what would you like to hear me teach? Fellas, that is a dangerous question. I'm just saying. It is a very—so think about it before you ask your wife that. But my wife is beautiful. You know what she said to me? I would love for you to preach through Romans chapter 8— It's my favorite chapter. It's my favorite book, my favorite chapter in all of scripture. And so I said, yeah, man, that sounds great. Let's do that. And so today we're going to be in Romans chapter one. Okay. Uh, Not chapter eight, but that's okay because next week we're going to do chapter eight. I wanted to go through Romans chapter one first for a couple of reasons. It's because one, we're going to have a chance to look at the first seven verses of uh, Romans, and it is an introduction. Now, be honest with me. How many of you, uh, when you read an introduction in one of Paul's letters, just skim right over it? No one? Come on, saints, be honest. Uh, Some of you do, I guarantee you. And because some of them are short, right? It's just, this is me talking to you, hello. Hello right? So it's not all that interesting. Um, But in Romans, we get one of the longest introductions that Paul has ever written. And so it's worth noting, isn't it? In one of the most systematic um, explanations of the gospel, Paul writes to a group of people that he does not know. And he does, uh, he takes some time to explain exactly what he's going to be talking about. It is actually really exciting. But before we get into that, let's take some time. Let's pray together and then let's get into God's word. Heavenly Father, we we thank you, God, for this opportunity that we have to worship you. Lord, thank you for this opportunity and the freedom to gather together as a family, to open up your word, to to sing praises to your name, Lord, uh, yet not I, but Christ in me. Lord, I pray that as, as we are thinking through the things that we just proclaimed to you in song, as we get into your word now and we read the truths of who you are, Jesus, and as uh, we have a time to, visit, uh, to see uh, what obedience looks like through baptism, that you would be glorified and honored in our lives as your gospel is clearly proclaimed, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, church, you guys are interactive, so I'm going to ask you a question, okay? I wouldn't do this at every church, but, but you guys, you're going to have answers for me, so let me ask you, um, what do you identify with? When you, when, you, when you meet someone for the very first time, how do you introduce yourself? What sort of things do you say? Your name, you say that you're a father. Okay, what else? Oh, I should have, I should have actually gauged if I could hear you. That would have been a good thing to do before I asked you a question. Anybody? Speak up. Say again. It's good, to see you. it's good to see you. Okay, a greeting. Very good. Very good. Anything else? What your, what your job is. Very good. Okay, my occupation. I want you to know that. What else? Where you're from. Where you're from. Where you're geographically tied to. This is good stuff. Anybody else? How many kids, How many kids right? Some of us have a lot, right? Very good. That could be an epic thing to introduce to somebody. Very good. You know, these are all um, acceptable answers in our culture. You would agree with me, right? Um, But the fact is, as we are identifying ourselves today in our culture, there are many times, and you could agree with me, that we are struggling to do so, right? When we uh, are trying to think, how do I represent myself to the world around me? Sometimes it's really hard to have an answer because the answers are abundant. Our culture tells us that we can identify by our gender, or lack thereof. We can identify by our ethnicity, um, our political party, maybe our social agenda, our our, our sexuality might be the most important thing in our lives, or our economic status. It could even be our ancestral background, you know, where our family came from, Uh, our pronouns, can be part of our introduction these days. And so there are a lot of options, right? In our world today, if we want to identify ourselves, it can be incredibly confusing. But the truth is, we serve a really loving God, and He provides for us a means to understand our actual identity, the thing that we ought to proclaim to the rest of the world. Is that not true? It's true. And so by God's grace, we're going to open up today's text, and we are going to get a reminder of what our identity is. We're going to do so uh, working through it a little bit at a time, and we're going to look at three main points. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read for it, uh, read you this passage right off the bat, the first seven verses of the book of Romans. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so a little background. Uh, when we talk about introductions, um, today when you write a letter, I don't know if you still do that. It might be emails. We might even be beyond emails. I don't know. But typically what we do in our culture is we start with our name. Or we, uh, we start with the person we're talking to. Dear, uh, Dear Shea. I am writing to you to let you know I love you very much because you wanted to watch the Ravens game with me on Thursday. Your BFF for life, Ben. Right? That's how we would format our letters very succinctly. Um, in the ancient world, it was really different, and and the cool thing is Scripture actually gives us a preview of how the ancient world would have communicated with one another. Everything went up front. It was typically, a greeting was very, very short. It was something concise. Acts chapter 23, verse 26 actually has an example. It reads, Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. That's all it is, right? Um, But as we know, as we read through the book of Romans, uh, Paul chooses to do something very differently because Paul had never actually visited the people that he was writing to. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this book, but he had never been to Rome when he wrote the letter to the Romans. Now, he knew some of the people in the church. The letter indicates that he greets some people by name, but overall, he had never visited them. So actually, when we read Romans, when we read this greeting, we're seeing evidence of the work that God had done in Paul's life. Because he had the desire, you guys, the desire to write one of the longest letters he ever wrote to a people that he had never met before. But before he unpacked all of that gospel, what Paul did was he needed to do, uh, to gain credibility, the right to be able to teach them, and to give them the reason why he was going to say what he had to say. Now, I want you to think about what you would say in a moment like this. When you're before the people, or you're trying to write to this people group, you know you have something really important to say, and you have to introduce yourself to them and establish credibility right off the back. What sort of things would we say? Well, you guys already listed them, right? We might launch into our life story. We might let them know some of our background. We could tell them where we, f- we are from. We could tell them who our parents are, if they were important. Maybe we'd make a connection to the community, make sure that they know that we kind of know some things about them already. Maybe we'd list off our credentials. Some of us went to college. We could, we could list that off. Or, or maybe we're the subject matter expert in a field. We want to let them know. We know everything about the thing we're about to say. Maybe we just give them a last name. You know, something to, to give them a little bit more of our identity. As Paul doesn't do any of that. Look at the text. Look at what he does. Uh, posed with this challenge of identifying himself to the rest of the world, Paul chooses to introduce himself in verse 1 by saying, Paul. That's it. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul is what he chooses to say about himself. Verse 1 is the end of Paul's personal description, and so uh, as we're looking through this text, the first thing we need to realize that this text is going to tell us is that when the gospel gets a hold of your life, the gospel leads us to a new identity, and that identity is not ourselves, that identity is Jesus Let's take a look closer at Paul's personal identification. The first thing he says is his name is Paul, not Paul of Tarsus, not Paul of Jerusalem, Dr. Paul, Pastor Paul, Paul the missionary, none of it. He just says Paul. And the crazy thing is when we look at other places in Scripture where Paul chooses to introduce himself, he does say more than just Paul. We know, for example, that he was a very prominent man in his day. He was raised with a Greek education, so let's just say he had the finest education you could possibly have at that time. He knew of the philosophers. He knew of the ancients. He was trained by prominent Jewish teachers, and even in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, almost sarcastically, Paul says to the church, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews; as to the law, a Pharisee; as to zeal, a persecutor of the church; as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I think he could have started with any of those qualifications, couldn't he? He could have said any of those things to the people in Rome just to give them a glimpse of, man, I'm a big shot. I got it going on. You, you should believe the things I'm about to say because I am the most credentialed individual that could possibly be able to say it. And yet all he says is Paul. Greatest missionary who ever lived, some have said. And in this critical moment, he just gives his name. And so at the beginning of his introduction, Paul does not primarily identify himself with his accomplishments or his earthly heritage. He doesn't use his ethnicity or his sexual orientation. He does not use his gender or pronouns, any political affiliation. No, nothing that we would use in our modern era to try and identify ourselves. In fact, if we continue to read, how does Paul proceed to identify himself? What sort of things does he say? I'm a servant of Christ. I'm called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So friends, if we want to understand what it looks like to to ground our identity, we need to follow Paul as he follows Christ in this moment. We need to understand the way that he is describing himself. And when we do, it's going to change everything. Let's look at it a little piece by piece. He starts with a servant of Christ, Jesus. This is one of those moments where the English language kind of fails us a bit. Some of you might have a different translation uh, for that word servant. Anybody have a different word for the word servant in that, in that verse? What do you got? Say again. Bondservant. I love that one. Anyone else? slave. Okay, so those are the two words. I, you guys did it. See, look at that. It's, those are the two words we're looking for, okay? Because uh, that word uh, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's doulos. It means slave or bond servant. Now, we get the connotation of servant for, for whatever reason, the translators chose to, 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 to list it that way in the ESV version. But the fact is that word applied to the one in five people in the Roman world who considered them or who were considered themselves slaves as loss. That's a fun fact, by the way. I did the math. One in four, uh, one in five people were considered to be slaves in the Roman world. One in four people were ruled over by the Romans. So if you do some quick math there, one in four, one in five, it's actually one in 20 people on the planet, right? It's kind of crazy. You think about the number of people that are in this room right now? One in 20 of the people on the planet considered to be Roman slaves. And so it's something that Paul would have been familiar with. It's something that the, the Romans would have been familiar with. They would have known that this was a demeaning. It was not um, a, a lofty type of designation. And yet, when Paul chooses to describe himself to people who did not know him, he calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ. It's weird. It's weird seems kind of out of place because that's not the social class that you're aiming to be in in the ancient world. So the truth must be that Paul is not trying to draw our attention to his position as a slave as much as he is trying to make us realize whom he is enslaved to. Who's he enslaved to? To Christ Jesus. It's so interesting, you guys. When we look at verse 4, it says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, when he first mentions Jesus in verse 1, he says, Christ Jesus. That's intentional. That's not a mistake. He wants us to know that Jesus' name is not Christ. His title is Christ. He is Messiah. He is anointed one. He is the one that we have been waiting for, for a very long time. And Paul says, I belong to that man. That's the crazy thing when he uses the word slave. Uh, when we think about that word, you guys, we, we have this, uh, this background of slavery in our culture that, that comes to the table, and, uh, and, and, and all, of, all of the, the, the baggage that, that comes with the, the racial connections to it, this is different. To be a slave in the ancient world is to not have an option about what you're going to do, but to be completely bound to that individual. And everyone else, any other master, would not have been worthy of that title. There's one person who would be worthy of that title, and who is it? It's Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. This is what it says about... Jesus. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being found in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Guys, there's no earthly master that could live up to that title. The reason why Jesus is worthy Is because Jesus himself took on the form of a slave, the lowest of the low. He died the type of death that slaves die, and he did so not only so that he could share our humanity, but so that he could take on the sins and the wrath that we deserved on the cross so that by God's grace, through the faith that we have in Jesus, we would be saved. Now, Paul was called out of his sin, and he was made to realize that truth. And because of that truth, he says, if that man is willing to be as a slave in that moment to die for my sins, from this point on, the primary thing, the primary way in which I want to be known is as his slave, as the one who belongs to that man. And no option of mine is now on the table, no decision is mine by option. I do not walk away from my master, I am not paid by my master, no, I belong to my master. He is Lord and I am not. And when Paul looks at the Romans and he says, this is the the first thing that I want to say to you about myself, I belong to him. He says a couple other things. He says he's called to be an apostle, right? He's called to be, uh, th- that word means messenger, right? But it also means big A apostle. There were 12 of those guys. They were, they were set apart for a ministry in addition to Paul, who was individually set apart as apostle as well. So they had authority, but the authority was based on the concept that they were going to be messengers to the world. What were they messengers of? The gospel. He was set apart, right? Set on the course of a very specific, or with a very specific message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul chooses to identify himself to these people, he says, I belong to the Lord. I am his slave. He has sent me with a message to represent him, and I carry that message, the gospel, to you now. And that is the only way that he chooses to identify himself. Now, church— This is the part where we ask ourselves the question, is this how we introduce ourselves to the world? Do we have this kind of identity as we approach the world around us to say that the first thing I want you to know is that I belong to Jesus and I am an ambassador of the ministry of reconciliation that he is presenting to the entire world for the salvation of those who would believe? I hope the answer is yes the first truth that we can really glean from this text today. The second is kind of implied in the next couple of verses. And that's what's kind of cool about this text is that you start with this identification, right? Paul tells us that he is the slave of Christ. He is an apostle and he's set apart for the gospel. But you guys, then he just blows past himself He doesn't talk about himself hardly for the rest of the introduction. No, instead what he does is exactly what he has been sent to do. He explains in the smallest part what he is going to take the next 15 chapters to unpack. He's going to tell them the gospel. So my second point that I think we ought to consider today is that when we identify in Christ, we need to know the gospel. We need to have a knowledge of it friends. We have to be capable of doing it. That is what is implied in this text. Let me read you the next five verses. It says, he's Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, uh, Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, concerning his son, who descended from David, excuse me, yes, uh, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received the grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, friends, there are a lot of components of the gospel that are found in those verses. Would you agree? Look at what he says first, and this is a fun one. All those people that say, let's throw out the Old Testament. It doesn't really have a place in this modern church. I don't like that old God. He's all full of wrath and hate and vengeance and vile. No, I want the love God. I want the one in the New Testament. Well, it's fooey. The only, the only descriptions that Paul has to base off of is what God is actively doing through the Holy Spirit in his life and all of the scriptures that he had committed to know his entire life in where? In the Old Testament, you guys, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so the first thing we need to do to commit to do to knowing God's word is we have to know the whole of God's word, how it points to the Messiah, Amen. Then he continues, he says, Listen, this is a big one because, friends, I want you, I want us as a people to be the type of people that are ready on the drop of a hat to give an account of the one that we serve. To be able to go out into the world, and when a person says, What is the gospel? You don't shrink into yourself in fear and, and, and doubt, but you're filled with the Spirit, and you know exactly what to say in that moment. You can start with the fact that all of the Holy, uh, the holy Scriptures have spoken to Christ, but then you're going to say something. You're going to say the gospel is concerning the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It begins and it ends with Jesus now, I know that's, that doesn't seem like it's um, not self-explanatory. It seems like an obvious fact. But a lot of times when we want to share the gospel, you guys, we want to share our story. We want to we start with us. In fact, we, some people, we, we might just say, God is love, right? God is love. The only thing we have to share. Friends, God is love. And the manifestation of his love is the love that was poured out on the cross in the, 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 the form of Jesus for your sake and for mine. Everything starts with him. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the creator. He's the image of the invisible God, is he not? Yes. And this is what Paul says. He says, listen, for all of you who are in the room and you might have heard of this guy named David, Well, don't you worry. He's descended from David according to the flesh. He checks off all the boxes that you've been waiting for in terms of being the Messiah. But he did something you did not expect because he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead and so not only does his birth represent a wonderful proof that he is who he said he is but the moment that he was resurrected in power he was affirmed for the entire world to be who he said he is he is god fully man fully god all about jesus concerning the son that is the gospel Paul tells us that it started with the prophets pointing to him. It is encompassed fully in his life, which includes the promises that he has at the end in which he will make all things new. But then here's a really cool part. And guys, don't forget about this. This is for you and it's for the lost. Through whom? We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You see, God accomplished all of these things, and he promised them beforehand, and it was lived out in the life of Christ. But then in Paul's life, there was a moment in which Paul describes it as a grace, unmerited favor. God poured out his unmerited favor, not just in saving Paul, but setting the course of his life that he would be the messenger of God. It says, for the sake of his name, that's where we get, we do all things for the glory of God. Here it is, you guys. For the sake of his name, Paul was set apart to carry the message to who? To the Jews? Yes, to the Jews. To all the nations, though to all the nations, including you, the Romans who are hearing it, that have been called to belong to Jesus. Now, friends, we are not apostles. That is an office specifically reserved for Paul. But the spirit of that verse, the fact that you are called to be a messenger, man, it's a gift that you get to participate in the way that, the wor- that God is making all things new. Every single day, you get to carry the badge that I belong to Christ, but then it doesn't stop there. You don't keep one foot in this building amongst these people and one foot out in the world doing whatever you want to do. You don't sit in the condition that you are in just drinking milk and being vaguely aware of this amorphous God that sort of does things for me. No, I commit myself to knowing the Word, and then I live out that Word in the purity of my life, and then I carry that message of hope and salvation, what Paul Paul calls the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Man, I get to do that for his glory. Is that not a gift? It's a grace that we are invited into. And it starts with your commitment to know the Lord and to know the, the best way in which he has revealed himself to the universe, his word. I kind of cheated on this last point because we, we, we sort of already talked about it, um, but as we, we work into the last um, three verses, that, that purpose, that you, we would say that is a purpose, right? A purpose to carry the message of the gospel that is a gift. It actually becomes a defining element of how we are to continue in the world today. Can you put the third point up for me? Your identity in Jesus through the gospel provides a lifelong Purpose, Friends, we just read that through Jesus, Paul received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those who are in Rome, who are loved by God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of purpose that's actually um, written in those last couple of verses. First and foremost, you're called to be a messenger, are you not? Jesus gives you a job to do from the moment you become a believer to be a messenger of the gospel. Verse 7 is interesting, though. He says, to you who are in Rome who are loved by God, that's so significant on two ways. One, because the the Jews who are there and hearing that for for the first time from Paul are reminded of a fact that already existed in their lives. They are the chosen people of God. They are in multiple occasions at multiple times described as God's beloved. But then what about all the other people, right? This multi-ethnic melting pot that is Rome, that's not just Italians, you guys. At this point, I just said they ruled over a fourth of the population of the world. And so Roman citizens came from Asia, they came from Turkey, they came from Greece, they came from Rome, they came from Spain, France, Britain, they came from across the globe, and they centered themselves in this capital of Rome. Now Paul's talking to those people who have never been shared the gospel, who have never been told by the people who were commissioned to do it, that they were beloved by God, and here Paul is, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Hebrew of Hebrews, and he's pouring out his heart to these people. And he says, you're beloved and you're called to be saints. Anyone know what saint means? If you're liturgical, you might have one definition. Sanctified. I I think I heard someone say it. It's sanctified. Okay. Um, Saints are not a, a lofty position that's detached from all of the rest of us that And I'm sorry to offend someone on the very first time I'm up here, but um, that's something that's unobtainable, that we pray to, that intercedes. That's not found in Scripture, you guys. If you belong to Christ in this room, guess what you are? You're a saint. You are sanctified. You are being sanctified. You are being made to look more like Jesus every single day through our efforts and through the intercession of the Holy Spirit. That is what he is actively doing in your life, is bringing you to a knowledge of that. And that manifests itself, you guys, not only in the fact that we will be the carriers of this message that is salvation to the rest of the world, but that we will commit ourselves specifically to represent Christ in a way that brings glory and honor to him. And yes, that is knowing his word, but it's also living out his word and it's standing apart from the rest of the world that will drive us away from the standards that, that, that make us represent the Lord. No, we want to glorify Christ. We want to follow godly men as they follow Christ. That is the objective every single day. And it drives purpose into our life that, again, is a grace. And the final thing is, it's actually kind of cool. You have this purpose in being a messenger. You have this purpose in being a, a saint that is that is working out your salvation and growing more to be and more to be like Jesus. But finally, you are given purpose in the fact that for the very first time you have access to something that the world does not have. Paul could have just said greetings. He could have just said hi. You know what he says to the church? Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And church, you are given a radical new mindset when you belong to Jesus. And it is centered on the grace that you have received from God that you did not earn. The fact that you have been reconciled to a holy God through his son and that that was a gift. But then you're given peace of knowing that not in this life, but in the life that will never end, you will be at peace with God, reconciled to him for all of eternity. Now, when you turn on the news, do you see peace? Do we see grace uh, abounding? Guys, do you feel hope when you're watching the news at the end of the day? You don't. You see people warring, the nations killing themselves, you see economies collapsing. As you see nature itself tearing at the seams, hurricanes and natural disasters, all sorts of discord. The people in Rome had a really unique perspective, and I don't want to bore you, but this is a fun fact, so I hope you like it. There was a guy named Augustus, okay? He was Augustus Caesar. He ruled over the empire, and, uh, and he ruled for a really long time, about 40 years. His reign began with a Civil War. Okay, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of tumultuousness, people killing each other. And, and so for a period of time, the Roman people couldn't really find their identity. They were, they were at each other's throats. They didn't know who to follow after. And eventually, Augustus came to the forefront. He was the guy, right? And in him, they found a type of peace. It was a propaganda tool. They'd say things like, Caesar is the peacemaker. They would broadcast that to the rest of the world. And a fourth of the world's population for 40 years knew the Pax Romana, the, more, the, most, the most affluent period in Rome's history. Do you think they got a little comfortable in that? They did. And yet, as soon as Augustus was gone, the cracks started to show. Emperor after emperor was not able to keep the same, uh, the same economy going. The, the borders started to get pressured by these outside people. And eventually, a guy named Nero came to the throne. Everybody know who Nero is? You should. He's the worst. You guys. Like, Nero was uh, the face of Christian persecution. So everyone in this church, at the very least, should know his name. But at, when, when Nero came to the throne, you know what people thought? Look at this guy. This is going to be great. He's not a warrior. He's, he's kind of soft, right? He doesn't want to go to war. Uh, he, he's, he's already over the economy. He's pretty secure. His dad was emperor, so it's not like he's a nobody. I think it's going to be okay. Maybe the Pax Romana is coming back. He's going to make Rome great again. It's going to be awesome. You know what happened? The guy was a lunatic. Self-centered, narcissistic, and willing willing to blame the problems of Rome on a people group that had done absolutely nothing to him. And in the name of Caesar, Christians were round up, they were thrown into Colosseums, torn apart by lions, nailed up to crosses and set on fire. Does that sound like peace? Guys, that's the world that these guys lived in. When Paul wrote this letter and he says to them, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think in that moment they thought that that grace and that peace was going to be found in this life? They looked everywhere and they knew that it wasn't. They knew that Paul was talking about something that would endure that could never be taken away, that had already been purchased, signed, and sealed in this one who he is a slave of. And at the end of the day, they were able to experience the grace and the peace of God our Father, knowing that their eternities were secure with all of the ones that they love. And that God had done all of it. Friends, this is the world that we still live in. We still have a purpose in carrying the message of salvation to lost people around us. We still have a purpose in reflecting Christ in our conduct, the way that we live, and we absolutely find purpose and grounding in looking to the grace and the peace and the hope that is found in the cross that will never be replicated in this world. Amen? So that's what this passage shows us today. And it causes us to ask a lot of questions, does it not? Are we at peace right now in our lives, in our hearts? Is the circumstance of where I'm at tearing me away from the confidence that I have in the cross? Am I living a life that is sanctified, that is constantly moving to become more like Jesus? Do I care, as a messenger of the most important news that has ever existed, that the world outside is perishing, and that is not just strangers far away, although our hearts need to be for them, that is not just for our nations, although we should care for the people in our nations, that is our children. It's our families. It's this community. Are you ambassadors of the Ministry of Reconciliation to the world today? Guys, do you know the Word of God? Have you committed to knowing the value that this brings that nothing else can? Do you take advantage of not just the personal time that you have? And you do have that time to read it and to commit it to memory and to make it central to your life, but do you commit to all the ways that this church family is actively trying to equip you for the work of the ministry? Are you participating in the lifeblood of this church so that you can be better equipped to do the things that you are actively called to do every single day? And this might be the most important question. Guys, do you identify in Christ? When it's time to introduce yourself to God the Father, are you going to take the time to list off all your credentials Talk about the time that you spent in, in seminary doing all this, you know, cool college y things. That wasn't very technical. Are you going to off, list off who you know? My mom was a Christian. My dad was a Christian. I went to church with them. Are you going to give them your name? Or are you going to stand before the Father? only thing I bring to the table is that I belong to Jesus he's my master this is a great opportunity that we have today to to ask ourselves some of those questions with no condemnation whatsoever but with the the grace and the peace and the hope that the gospel provides to you through Jesus Christ and through God the Father Let's do that today. Listen, I'm going to do something here. I'm going uh, to pray for us as our time is coming to a close. And, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to recenter our minds and our hearts for a second. Uh, we have four individuals who have been contemplating the very thing that we talked about today, who they identify with. And they have boldly proclaimed to the leadership of their church that they belong to Jesus. Amen? It's awesome. It's worth celebrating. Now, there, there are not uh, many things that we are actively commanded to do in terms of ordinances, but baptism is one of them, right? When Jesus said, um, uh, uh, go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, what does he say next? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And so we're going to participate in that very thing very soon. I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk about baptism for enough time that they can get changed. And then, and then we're going to, we're going to get going. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are and for what you have done. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the people of God that have gone on before us that have impressed on us by the power of your Holy Spirit, the truth and the value and the worth of the gospel. Lord, let us be a people that, that know your word, that love you with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our strength, and the desire to teach our children to be obedient to the commands that you have given us. Jesus. You are everything. You are the center of the gospel. And I pray that as, as we continue to contemplate uh, the, the, the will that you have for our lives, that you would draw us first to know you, to, to boldly proclaim to the rest of the world that you are our master. But God, would you work in our lives to produce the, the fruit that is the desire to know your word? the fruit that is the desire to obey your commands, not as a burden, but because it brings glory and honor to your name and because you promise that it is for our good. Lord, would you give us boldness and courage to be ambassadors for you to this community around us? Lord, you are building up Stanwood actively right now. You are working in Washington all around us, and we see the fruit of it. And we pray that you would allow us to be your hands and your feet, the instruments by which you are carrying the hope of the gospel to the rest of the world. Allow that to be at the center of our desires, Lord, and fill us with the peace and with the knowledge of your grace and with the hope that that produces. God, thank you for the four individuals that have come forward and professed that you are Lord. God, we pray that, uh, that you would help us as a church to, to come alongside them, to see these faces and to not just ignore that, Lord, but to see this as an opportunity that one who has had the courage to come forward and, and proclaim that you are Lord, that we can be a part of how you are sanctifying them, that we can support them and love them and be supported by them and loved by them. God, allow that to be our commission as a church. Um, And Lord, we just pray um, that you would do a great and mighty work um, through our children and through our lives. We love you, Jesus. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen. All right. I'm going to read a bit of Romans chapter 6 to you. No way that I'm stalling. It's not stalling. I plan to do this. Ray's mad at me. I I apologize, Ray. When we talk about baptism, uh, a lot of, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to it, you guys. Uh, some people think that baptism is salvific. You might come to the water and you think that something special is happening. Under the water, you're coming out a really clean and, and, and holy person. Um, there is no tie in Scripture to that whatsoever. Baptism is not something that saves us. Baptism is the outward sign of an inward change, okay? It is us confessing before God and before the church that we belong to him and that we will live lives that honor him. In Romans chapter 6, Paul uses baptism as an illustration for us to understand our ties to Jesus. He says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Now, the people that are going to participate in baptism today are participating in that act, you guys. They're confessing to you that going under the water is the representation of how they're participating in the life-saving death of Jesus Christ. And, and the, 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 the death that bought our, or ransomed us from our sins, and coming up out of the water is the representation of Christ's resurrection and the new life that we are now able to live for the sake of Christ because of not only his death, the power of God in raising them up again that's what we get to do today and so it is a celebration I don't know how we do them at cedar home but I hope that y'all we we clap we do a little bit of hooting and hollering when people are going through this because it it is it's an awesome moment that we get to do together and so we are going to do that together